if you're listening to this, you are the resistance. That was like a question. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Now you sound like Sean Connery. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. No, <sighs> you kind of sound like Darth Vader. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Falling Skies cast, the first podcast dedicated to Falling Skies on TNT. Well, welcome back to the Falling Skies cast. This is episode number eight of the Falling Skies cast, the first post-episode edition of the podcast. And it is June the 19th. Happy Father's Day out there to all the fathers. And we've just got our Father's Day present from TNT, Steven Spielberg, and DreamWorks Television, the season premiere of Falling Skies. Uh, my name is Jimmy in Georgia. I am your host, and with me, as always, is my co-host, the lovely Emmy. Hi. Hello. And uh, we're going to start off our show here in just a moment with a little bit of what we like to do, uh, a recap of the episodes we've just seen. This is a two-part series premiere, so this is quite a long broadcast of... <laughs> to recap. So if you're not a fan of the recaps, you can um, go ahead and skip ahead, I guess, if you don't want to r- listen to this portion of the show. We do have the AAC feed, where you can skip to the next chapter, where we're talk about some of the questions we have based on these two episodes, um, if you don't want to hear all of the um, the recaps. So that was an option for you there, because I, I know in the past on my other podcast, What is the Event Podcast, people... A few people, not everyone, but a few people did say they didn't really like the recaps. they just seen this episode, they didn't want to hear it again, so you have the option. If you'd like to listen to it, please do, and if not, please skip ahead. Now, alright, the series premiere of Falling Skies opens up with a voiceover that tells us how the aliens arrived in big ships, and we didn't attack them with our nuclear weapons, which was a mistake because they didn't want to be friends. They quickly, basically shot us with the EMPs, which caused all forms of electronics to stop working, and then the aliens followed that up with attacking army bases, the capitals of the world, and pretty much every major city, killing untold millions. And then the skidders and the mechs came along and started capturing kids and putting harnesses on the ones that were left. Dr. Anne Glass has the children drawing pictures and telling stories about what happened. Matt Mason tells her how his mom died and that his brother Ben was at Nick's house and he might have been taken. Matt is worried about his dad and Hal because they are out fighting. Tom and Hal are running away from mechs. We see one of their compatriots get shot. They're pushing a cart full of food, which is targeted with a system that looks kind of like something from the movies and the Predators they used. And they target at them, but actually they duck out of the way. The cart gets hit, and they leave the food behind. Tom and Hal find an abandoned store and hide as the skitters come. They see that there's this strange noise in the air. We see one another, their friends get shot and killed. And then a woman who appears to get shot but not killed, and she's quickly surrounded by skitters. Tom and Hal run away. They run into Weaver. He says that their barricades are down and they have to fall back. And then they witness a ship fly over and they see another EMP blast. And then Tom tells the screaming girl to be quiet because we soon learn noises attract the skitters and the mechs. Hal tells Jimmy that they lost. Captain Jameson, Jared's cousin, and a bunch of guys he didn't know. The fighters make their way into their makeshift camp and Tom finds his youngest son, Matt. Anne and Loudris are serving soup. Tom only has one can of tuna to give to Anne. Anne shows Tom the pictures that Matt drew of the family. Tom is called to a meeting with Porter. 
Porter tells his people that the city is lost and they have to split up, hide, and scavenge. Tom says that they can't leave the city because of the Harness kids. Weaver agrees that they need to stand and fight. Porter says that the Skidder's aerial units are picking up groups of five to six hundred. They are splitting up into units of three hundred, one hundred fighters, two hundred civilians. Porter has already sent out nine of these units, and these are the last three. Anderson takes the 10th Massachusetts to Marblehead. And right here on the table, you see a battle droid and what appears to be, a little further back in the background, a Padme from Star Wars Episode One on the table, which is interesting. Sam has uh, Jeffries as his second com in command, and they are to move west along Route 3 until they get to Revere. And then Weaver is given command of the second master, replace Jameson, who's just killed. He's given Tom Mason as his second in command. They are to move west toward Acton. Tough Acton to Acton. Um, Weaver wants to know <laughs> what to do if they start picking up groups smaller than 300, and Porter says they'll break into smaller units and continue. Weaver wants to fight because, mostly because the mother ships have left and there are less of them now than when the ships come back. Porter says we're, we're going to split up, we're going to run, we're going to hide, and we're going to survive. Porter gives them each a list of food stores along their routes. He also says that the medical and science people are coming with him. They are still working on getting the harnesses off, and that they lost two more kids today trying to do that. They'll move out in the morning. Weaver has eight years of active Army service, six years of reserve service, which is why Porter made him the acting commander of the 2nd Massachusetts. And Porter even actually saw him in action back in Desert Storm. Professor Mason has read a lot of books, <laughs> he says. But Porter put Mason second in command to defend the civilians. Porter reminds him that it's not over. So Anthony and Click are telling Jimmy and Di and Tom a story about a guy from the 5th Massachusetts that was out of ammo except for two bullets in a 45 animatic. Um, he stood outside waiting as basically bait. A uh, skitter came along, and then the second guy from behind a dumpster took a headshot and killed the skitter. We see Hal looking up at the alien spaceship that's kind of attached to the city of Boston, and then Anthony comes over alongside of him, and they start talking about different ways they would like to go inside there and kill the aliens, or Dai says he'd like to have seven or eight trucks full of C4 to go in there and kind of blow it up. And then the professor, good old Tom, comes over and says the outside of that place would be like a fortress. They would need to get inside like a Trojan horse, or like the World War I sampers, tunnel underneath and plant a big pile of TNT. Or, like the Romans at Pontus, I guess there's another people who tunneled somewhere. Uh, but he was interrupted before he could go on. And Anthony gets back to work on getting the fifty caliber attached to the car. Hal asks his dad if tunneling would work, and Tom says it has throughout history. And he gives the examples of Alexander, the Macedonians, and then Hal tells him to ease up on the history lessons. Karen and Hal are discussing the best way to use motorcycles for scouting, and Karen is not too happy when Lardis comes over offering soup to Hal. Karen makes fun of Lardis, saying, I'm glad you're okay. They are preparing to move out in the next morning. Tom and Anne have a conversation. Anne says that the silver lining in all this is that she will be dealing with flu shots and neurotic mothers. And Tom says he'd be grading midterms or at least staring at a stack of them. Tom says that they're going to retreat, regroup, return, and revenge. Weaver tells Tom to listen, not agree to his orders. Scott is working on a station wagon while his wife, Kate, is inside. And their niece wants to know if he should pack the medical supplies in the car or in backpacks. As they doubt him, the car starts. Matt is upset about the move because it's the 8th and it was supposed to be his party. Birthday party. Hal got a birthday party. Tom says that they will try something once they get settled. As they gear up, Tom sees a stack of books. He grabs 20,000 Leagues in the Sea by Jules Verne, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. He tries to make a decision on what he should take and finally goes with Dickens. The second mass moves out with a great score playing underneath. Most of the people are on foot. Anne says that she knows one of the houses as they walk by. Her husband had a landscape piece there, and she remembers going out 
on one night to seal the deal with their child that was crying. Tom changes the subject and says that they were on Bartlett Hill, and about 400 years ago, it was a Native American settlement. And as she um, noted, he is always the, the history professor. Um, she asked, what do you think will be here in another four years? And he says, hopefully humans will be here. Um, and then again, we see a shot of this, the ship stationed over the top of Boston. The group stops at a food store, but there's not much there. Hal reports that every food store between here and Acton is picked clean. Weaver says that there's too many of them. Tom volunteers to go and pack and get food from the shop. Smart, but wants half the fighters to go with him. Weaver only gives him the pickup and six fighters. Weapons are only what they have, plus the mags that they can carry. They're to meet back up at the Littleton Bridge and questions this mission. Tom asks her to take care of Matt. Tom gets Karen and Hal as scouts. Tom asks Karen to get Anthony, Click, and Die. Die has some C4 and is helping Jimmy prepare for the mission. Matt is talking about his party again. He doesn't want to tell his dad what his wish is for his birthday. Tom reassures him of the fact that Rule 619 says you can tell me anything. His wish is for everything to go back to the way it was. He misses his old life, basically. Tom says that he does too and that it's going to get better. Matt and Hal have some brotherly moments before they take off for the mission. Tom lays out a plan to get get to the shop smarts. Hal and Karen have to check out the road to see which way the skitters and mechs would be coming. Tom asks if Hal needs any more hollow nose, and Hal corrects him to say hollow point, and he says he could use an extra clip. Tom corrects him mag. Hal thinks it's funny how seven or eight months ago everything was different and his dad wouldn't let him ride his bike without a nightlight, and now he's offering him extra ammo. They share a, he- a hug and tell each other to be safe. Tom and the gang wait for the recon from Karen and Hal. Tom sees a young dead boy with a harness partially removed. The boy was about the same age as his other son, Ben. Hal is by the river looking for skitters and Max, and a group of them starts to walk down the road over the bridge. In a scene a little reminiscent of the Lord of the Rings, he hides in a mound of dirt beside the bridge as they go by. Hal sees his brother Ben along with other kids wearing harnesses following the aliens. They rush back and tell the group that Ben is alive. He wants to go get him. Everybody's in, but Tom says they have to stick to the mission, and then they can go get Ben. Tom wants to get him, but he doesn't want Matt to lose his other brother and father, because if they do this the wrong way, they all die. They're heading for Watertown Shop Mart. They will do their recon, and then Tom and I will go in after dark. The plan is for everyone to leave if anything goes wrong. Tom says if they make this costly enough, the aliens will leave and that history is full of inferior forces creating so much trouble that the invading army leaves. He gives several examples, including the Athenians at Marathon, the Scots against the British at Stirling Bridge, the American Revolution, and, of course, the Red Sox versus Yankees, 2004. Night has fallen. Tom, Di, and Hal have gone, have gone into the warehouse. They surveyed the place and bring in the pickup. They start loading up food. And we see a skitter's hand on the side of the rack as Karen passes by. Hal falls off a ladder when a skitter lunges at him. They shoot the skitter, but to no avail, and then a mech arrives. Tom uses his block of C4 and a shopping cart to destroy it. The six-legged, two-armed skitter is making its way towards Tom and die, shoots it with a shotgun in the head. We see the dying alien has a uniform and what looks to be battle armor. The two motorcycles and pickup arrive at the bridge, and everyone is happy to see them, especially Matt, Anne, and Loudris. Tom reports to Weaver that they got a truckload of food, and Hal saw Ben. Tom says that after they take the Acton Armory, he'll go back to get him. Weaver says, we're not going back, and you're not going back. Tom says he's my son, and asks Weaver what he would do if he gets his family back. It's a father's right. And that reminded me of Lost and Michael. It is not a father's right. It's a father's right. He's my son. Terrible actor. Really (laughs) terrible. 
Uh. Anne has a little cupcake and a match for Matt for his birthday. Matt asks about his wish before making wish. Hal comes up with the thing and tells Matt it's from his dad. A ripstick skateboard. And Di gives him the helmet. Matt takes it out for a little spin and even shares some of the other kids. A little family moment and a break from the bleakness of the world. The fighters and the civilians get smiles from the play. Weaver motions to Tom and he announces that it's time to go. Karen is forward and Hal is flank. They are heading toward the meadow with good cover. The swelling score picks up once again as we see the alien ship in the distance. And that wraps up part one of the two-part series premiere of Falling Skies. And we will continue here in just a moment with the recap of part two, The Armory. Part two, The Armory. The second part of the premiere opens at Acton Armory. The same team running towards the, the armory. Di notices mech tracks. Tom says that the tracks are six hours old. Tom throws a ball towards the building. Tom bets Hal five million, but Hal would rather, would rather it be a stick of gum. A mech comes out in response to the dog, and Jimmy messes up everything over the dog. They run, and it seems that they get away from the things pretty easy when there's only one of them. We see Matt in the bedroom. It almost looks like a flashback. We see, like, skateboard things on the walls and stuff, but we see pretty soon that um, his dad's in the doorway. And the next we see Hal is being asked by a lot of people if he saw their kids. Matthew is upset about oatmeal again when they're out going towards breakfast. Tom is off to another meeting with Weaver. Weaver kind of gets the breakdown of what happened on the last little mission. And it comes down to that they didn't want to go into attract skitters. And that Jimmy, the 13-year-old fighter, was basically the breakdown in discipline that caused a problem for the mission. Weaver orders him to go back that night because they still haven't scouted the armory, even though Mason wants to go find his son. And uh, he says, just like the food stores and the pharmacies, the armory's probably empty and the skitters are just staking it out. But he still has to go back anyway, so it doesn't matter. Anne approaches Weaver because she has heard the complaints from the civilians, and it appears it's starting to become their voice to Weaver. The civilians don't think it's fair that the fighters are sleeping in their houses while civilians are in tents. Weaver says that his fighters need the best dress to protect everyone else. Anne also says that they have heard the fighters refer to the civilians as eaters. Anne and Tom walk and talk about the situation. She wants to get Tom's opinion, but Tom's more interested in talking about eggs and bacon and hash browns and English muffins with lots of butter. Tom eventually says that civilians are a liability and a hindrance, but also the best motivation to fight. Anne says that Uncle Scott wants to talk to him about the aliens. Tom is teaching the kids science class. The most miraculous gift, he says, is life itself. Matt says that they're not grateful for skitters. Tom agrees, but they are grateful for the chance to study them and the chance to find out how they should fight them. Scott has an older older student brainstorming about the aliens, and one of his older female students made the observation that whenever we come up with robots, they've basically been like ourselves with two arms, two legs. Why do the skitters who have six legs make bipedal robots? Tom theorizes that they've been studying the Earth for a while, and maybe they have two legs to create a great physiological, psychological impact. Mike comes up to Hal and doesn't ask about his son, but Hal knows that his son Rick is out there. Mike wants to go out with them whenever they go looking for Ben. Loudress comes and asks Hal if he needs help with his jugs that he's carrying. Karen says she could use her help, and then Hal, of course, says she's just kidding, but she wasn't. Um, Loudress goes on to say that she saw him coming back in from the fight. Um, she was praying at the church. It was Episcopalian, not Catholic, but it would do. And um, Karen basically sarcastic about the whole thing with the whole faith issue. And she says, I wonder if the Skitters have a God. And Louder says that a lot of people have lost their faith, but hers is even stronger than ever. And she doesn't ask God to give her things when she prays. She asks God to show her what she can do for him. 
Hal and Karen get a room, literally. Hal notices the Harry Potter books and says that he and his dad used to read them to him. Karen says maybe Loudris could read them to you. Hal says that she is just being nice, but Karen says that Loudris is trying to get in his sh- <laughs> Pants would have been made. Well, she know. says shorts. Okay, okay, shorts. They embrace it. It looks like something might happen. When Tom comes in and says, get a room, Hal responds, we did. Tom goes on to tell them that Weaver has ordered them to go back to the armory. Karen says she's in, as do Click and Anthony from the other rooms. Tom says, thin walls. I guess everybody hears everything and points at them. Night falls and Tom tells Jimmy to sit this one out. Click is replacing him because he's bigger, and if they find weapons, they'll need someone bigger and stronger to help, but we all know it's because he messed up the last mission. The six of them head out as the score swells. They have really good music on the show. Um, They make their way to the armory and click is shot by two arrows but as he falls he fires his weapon and is able to hit one of these unseen attackers tom wants to know what they want the leader of this gang of marauders pope says that he wants tom his people and their guns tom is ready to fight until uh, they find out that karen and hal were captured tom and his group put down their guns whitey and cuball get the injured billy as the mech enters the armory everyone is led down an access tunnel uh, again, they got away from this one mech pretty easily, it seems like. Headed back towards Pope's home base. The members of the second mass have hoods over their heads. They are led to the auditorium. Pope wants to know if any of them are board-certified microsurgeons so they could fix his brother. Pope says that they are obviously not family. Tom denies that they are part of the, a resistance. Pope channels Sawyer from The Lost with his nicknames. Tom is dubbed Papa Smurf, Karen is sexy freedom fighter girl, Hal is strapping young man, Anthony is a gangbanger. Di is also called an oriental of some kind. Pope's band of marauders are all rednecked racists, apparently. They say that they don't want they don't want Anthony because of his race, and they say that Asians are good at fixing things. For some reason, Pope has a sword right now, I guess, to intimidate the uh, second mask people. Pope says he doesn't, they don't need another leader, so he's, you know, I guess going to take out old um, good old Tom Mason there but Hal admits that they're part of the second mass and they have more guns and they could get them for him Pope knows all about the second Massachusetts he goes on to say that there are 111 fighters 200 civilians camping in a meadow Pope figures out that Tom is Hal's dad and he says that he wants to trade these five people for the 50 cal and the car and um, I just think it's interesting Pope does have a sense of humor even though he is the leader of this little gang which is kind of weird after the others are let out, Pope talks with Tom about his life before all this. Tom tells him that he was an American history teacher. Pope says that instead of colonists and British, isn't this more like where the Indians and their never-ending never ending tide of humanity coming in from Europe? Pope says that the arrivals of these evil creatures is the best thing that ever happened to him and that they've been on a bug hunt for the last six months. Hal talks with Maggie and tries to get her to consider joining the second mass. He tries to attack her, but she takes him down pretty easily. And then gets him to stand back up, put his head back on, and get back to his way. Pope asks what Tom calls the spidery aliens. And Tom says skitters. Pope and his group call them cooties, like the kids game. Pope says that before the cooties, he was always up against the cops or people like himself. Tom says that he's killed a few. A rifle to the head does the trick. But Pope tells him to take out a few of the legs first. It slows them down, it weakens them, and then you go for the headshot. Pope has the carcass of one of these dead cooties that he took down by himself, or as he says, solo. When they raided the armory, they got a bazooka, he says, and they actually were trying to shoot one of the control ships. They lit a VW's engine on fire. It attracted the ship. They shot at it with a bazooka, but the ship or the pilot or whatever must have sensed that something was coming, and it got out of the way. Tom asked for a beer. 
Maggie tells Hal that he's got one hour. Weaver's back on camp in his house. Anne walks in and talks to them. Weaver says that the people in this area were taken to a camp near Stockton. Hal interrupts them before she can address the needs of the civilians with Weaver. Um, Tom is asked about his boys. He said he has two others besides Hal. One is back at you know with the camp or whatever. And one is Harness. Pope says he has a boy and a girl. They were with his mo- with their mother in Florida. Pope wants to know when Tom was going to make his move since Tom had been eyeing Billy's gun this whole time. Pope thinks that they were having a good conversation, but Tom obviously had these ulterior motives. Tom asks him to join the resistance and that he could guarantee good conversation. Pope doesn't see any hope for the future. Weaver calls in Mike. Mike is ready to make the trade, but Weaver says that we don't negotiate. Anne is told to wake up civilians and need to be ready to move in 10 minutes. Weaver says if, if they had all they had were fighters, he had to go and look for them. He has to protect the civilians. He tells Mike to take Hal next door and watch him. Mike lets him go, which is kind of funny. Hal even asks, should I hit you to make it look good? And he's like, no, don't hit me. <laughs> and then Anne comes in and says she might be able to help. Anne and Hal get back to the rendezvous point, and Anne tells Maggie that she's a doctor, and she may be able to help. Pope wants to know if the GTO is in the parking lot. Anne says that she's a doctor, and she might be able to help his brother. Pope channels Sawyer again, calling Anne Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Pope and a few of his people set out to rob the second mass. Billy, Maggie, and Q-Ball are left behind. Weaver says there will be consequences for Mike for letting a 17-year-old overpower him, which sounds a little fishy. Pope shows up at the uh, place and he does talk with weaver pope says the control ship is going to pick up these flares that they have thrown on the ground and that pope wants the food the gto and the 50 cal in exchange for weaver's friends weaver tells one of his people to leave the food and that he would get pope later billy tells karen to get up and let him look at her maggie must have had a little flashback she quickly shoots billy and cue ball and says that billy deserved it and cue ball thought he was better because he brought her chocolate he wasn't Tom and crew make it back to camp and open fire on Pope's group. Weaver tells Mike to take them. One of the Pope's men gets on the 50 cal and opens fire but gets shot. Tom tells Pope to join the second mass or die. Pope tells Tom that he better run. Pope also says that he will he will sit tight and see how the airstrike goes. The control ship flies over and pretty much blows up the remainder of Pope's people just as he's able to drive away in the GTO. Uh, however, Pope is stopped by Weaver and... Weaver quickly disarms him. They go to John F. Kennedy High School as their new base of operations. Weaver says that this was no good today. They almost lost Tom and his squad. Hal and Ann were reckless. He was young, and we don't want to lose our doctor. This time it worked out. Weaver tells him to go look for his son. They're going to check out a hospital. Weaver is giving them three days. Tom is instructed to escort Pope to his cell before he leaves. Pope is content to sit in his cell for a little while, but Maggie wants to earn her citizenship by being a fighter. Pope says that being a leader of a post-apocalyptic game of outlaws has been exhausting. Tom thanks Anne for coming with Hal, and then we get another chance for a father-son moment here on Father's Day as Matt and Tom play catch lacrosse style with the sticks that Matt found. They are about to head out to find Ben when Maggie and the rest of the crew comes out, and she leads the way. And that is the end of this premiere two-part special of Falling Skies, which will return next Sunday at 10, 9 central on TNT. And we're going to get into just a few things here. Um, not that we necessarily have any answers for these questions right now, but we do have a few questions that I think these first few episodes brought up. And also we're going to throw in a few pop culture references we think were kind of interesting. And so um, we're going to start off with a few questions that we have raised from the aliens. One, why are they here? What's their purpose? Why are the skitters kidnapping the kids? 
kind of strange. And kind of had this answer question answered already, but why are the mechs bipedal? And then we've heard that uh, in relation to the aliens, what they've done, we've heard that basically military bases, major world capitals, and just major cities in general were all destroyed. So I guess a really good question is how many people were killed? How many people have survived? And then also just real quickly, we want to get into just a few minutes to talk about um, some thoughts and theories about stuff. I have seen the next episode, so I do know the answers to a few more questions um, that I have, and I don't want to ruin anything there, so I don't want to get into any of that. But definitely don't understand why the aliens are here. Don't understand why they're stealing the kids and, and kidnapping them. We'll, we'll see a little bit more of what's going on there. Like in this first episode tonight, we only saw basically they were acting like zombies, just following these mechs around. Um, and that continues in the next episode. We see a little more activity there, which is, which is kind of interesting. So definitely stay tuned for that next week. Don't really get that. Uh, why would you kill so many humans if you still want to use some of them for something? Uh, we don't know exactly what that is yet. Um, but that is a different take on things. Again, there's one comment that was real brief. Maybe you missed it. We haven't seen the motherships yet. What we see is what they left behind. We see the little towers, um, the four-legged little things over the cities. Or actually only over Boston, which we can assume are over all the major cities that are still left. There's a comment made by Weaver that the motherships have gone away. And so there aren't as many skitters and mechs here as there once was, or there probably will be again soon. So that may be one of those things where the end of the season, end of next season, who knows, the motherships will return with more reinforcements or more whatever. We, I mean, we don't know why they're here. <laughs> we don't have any clues to that just yet. And um, that is one of the things I like about these kind of shows. There is that mystery element. There is that sci-fi element. But it, this show really does come down to the, to the characters. And I think we see that through these first two episodes, that it's more important that we care about Tom Mason. We care about how We care about this little family unit. And then there's other people we start to care about too. But mostly the Mason family is kind of where we're supposed to attach on to first. And I think they've done a good job of that, that we connected to these people, at least I have. Um, there's lots of shows you watch, or I've watched, that doesn't happen. And so I think they've done that very well thus far, and hopefully they will continue. And then we have a couple of questions I think we've, we've thought about as far as the characters go. I mean, there's others. There's lots of characters. There was quite a few characters in the Second Mass and Pope's Little Gang. But um, here's a few questions that we have. Um, what happened to Tom's wife? And we have Matt's story early on saying that she went out for food and they found her dead body, basically. Um, but we don't have all the details with that. And then also, what happened to Anne's husband and child? Um, we've heard her refer to her child and her husband. Don't know exactly what that situation was all about. And then, okay, like we said, we had a few pop culture references. In the first part of the two-part series premiere, part one was called Live and Learn. And there was a few there that um, I will talk about. And then Mary Evelyn's going to talk about the couple that are in the armory. The first one, the first episode, when the... Uh, the leader of the of the whole little regiment or whatever, Porter, was talking to the different groups of where they were going to be heading. We saw a Star Wars battle droid in Padme from Episode 1 on the table, which we mentioned in our little recap. And then also in uh, that first part, we saw two books. Or actually, yeah, two books. Well, there's a whole pile of books. We only had two focused in on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne and The Tell the Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And then I guess also was a pop culture reference... Um, Tom Mason did refer to the Red Sox Yankees when he was talking about inferior forces and defeating their invaders. And then in the part two of, the, of that premiere, the armory, we had a few more things. 
such as Harry Potter, Papa Smurf, VW, and GTO. And uh, that's going to be about all for this little section of the show. We're going to get into a little bit of, of Falling Skies news. There's all sorts of stuff all over the internet right now. Uh, entertainment sites, news sites, everybody seems to be talking about this. This was on the EW Must list. It's um, been reviewed positively pretty much everywhere. I've seen the reviews thus far. And um, as far as news goes, we're going to have a few links in the AAC feed for you to be able to check out. And if, if this is the first time you've heard our podcast, um, we'll definitely share all of our information here at the end. But definitely want to be able to keep you updated on these things. One thing um, we'll start off with is the show is available on iTunes. Uh, right now, as in Sunday night, you can get a free preview. But if you've already seen the episode, you don't need a free preview. But that's still cool. And also, iTunes is offering a season pass for the season for only fifteen ninety nine. And granted, from what I understand, there's only going to be 10 episodes. Um, that's two-part series premiere tonight, six normal episodes, and then another two-part se- season finale which would you know, entail 10 full episodes. But that's still a really cheap price to pay for an entire season for only $15.99 over at iTunes. And that link will be in the AAC feed. Following the U.S. premiere, the series will make its international debut in over 75 countries and markets, including Germany, Brazil, Mexico, Spain, Canada, South Korea, and the United Kingdom. Falling Skies will debut in Germany on TNT Serie and TNT HD on June 24th. Falling Skies will also debut in the UK on FX UK and on Fox in Italy on July 5th. And then also that will be followed up on uh, in Canada on the Super Channel on July the 6th. So they, the world will be invaded soon by the Skitters and the Mechs. Okay, also in Falling Skies news, the graphic novel is available for pre-order over at Amazon.com and I'm sure other outlets as well. Right now, Falling Skies paperback graphic novel is only $9.99. And I keep hearing it's sold out, but I'm assuming that means that the print run has been ordered by outlets. Because obviously, if you can pre-order at Amazon, I would highly doubt that it's sold out from Amazon. Just maybe Dark Horse has sold out the run that they printed, is maybe what I, I've been hearing. Um, also, there are some Falling Skies games out there right now. You can go to the Falling Skies Facebook page, the official one, which is ha- at facebook.com slash Falling Skies. And there's a little page there. There's actually several little... Little, little tabs you can get to and one of them does have like a little game where you can shoot aliens that are coming down and then it's also over at fallingskies.com the official website that takes you to a TNT site basically there's also a um, tower defense game where you can play and try to set up your um, resistance fighters around the town or the suburbs or the hospital whatever there's several different layouts where you try to protect your little area just if you're familiar with defense games you know what that's like so you can check that out as well and we also want to thank everyone who's found us over on Twitter um, at last count here during the episode there were right around 200 followers there so that's awesome thank you so much to all of you who followed us here a lot of people even found us today so thank you for those of you who did and um, we see that uh, Falling Skies is promoted to um, thing on, on Twitter right now which is kind of cool I'm not really sure how that works but anyway there's lots of people who interacted with us there I want to read a few of those it's from the last week or so we had uh, Mystic Knight said can't wait for the premiere of Falling Skies I'm marking my calendar for June 19th. I sent out a tweet uh, several days ago that said basically that Falling Skies was going to premiere in like four days and one hour and 53 minutes or whatever. And Red Dun 68 said, anxiously awaiting 
and retweeted the message. Wormhold Rider said yes and retweeted the message. Falling Skies, WHR on Twitter, said yes and retweeted the message. Also, Z Carlos Jr. said yay. Smiley Face retweeted the message. Um, got several follow Fridays um, last Friday from quite a few people there. Um, thanks to everybody who did that. And then also... Several people retweeted another message we'd sent out. And, and when I would say that, it's not just a normal hit retweet. It's the people who actually physically put retweet in there. You know, typed RT and then copied the message or whatever. Because lots more people retweet stuff than, than what I'm saying here. You know how Twitter works. Zeke2k retweeted one of our messages about Dark Horse Comics and Falling Skies. Earth Rooster said, I'm looking forward to the Falling Skies of TNT. New show premiere Sunday looks good. The Falling Skies of Dark Horse Comics. One Note Song said, Follow Friday for us and then Dark Horse Comics. Um, a couple more Follow Fridays. Falling Skies TVE said thanks for a Follow Friday. So I sent out Follow Fridays. If you're following us on Twitter or not, send out Follow Fridays for basically the cast members and then some of the other people who maybe work behind the scenes or maybe have a site or something like Falling Skies TVE about the show. A couple more retweets of a message we sent out from Nairal A. Hotep. Um, a couple messages directed towards us from Show Patrol. And then uh, one tonight says that uh, they're liking Falling Sky so far, which is great. And uh, we'd love to hear from you next go-around. We can also interact with us over at Facebook. The page over there is facebook.com slash fallingskiescast. And uh, over there we don't have quite as many followers. We're up to 31, which is uh, quite a few more than we had maybe just a week ago. Our numbers have definitely gone up in the last, definitely the last week as the news about the show have, have really ramped up. And um, thanks for everyone who's found, found us there. And again, I would appreciate your interaction. Or if you just want to like us or follow us, that'd be great too. But definitely love to hear your thoughts, your theories about the show. So send those in. We would love to hear from you. And we can uh, have all sorts of ways you can get in contact with us. You can call us. At 773-35-SKIES. You can also email us at fallingskiescast at gmail.com. Or follow us on twitter.com slash thefallingskies. And then you can also like us on Facebook, and that's facebook.com slash fallingskiescast. Or if you're on Get Glue, you can uh, search for us there, Falling Skies Cast. And the way Get Glue works, we're listed as a TV show, but you can check in to us there if you'd like it to, or you can like us. There's also, if you're familiar with Get Glue, you know how that works. And so we would love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts about the show, theories about what the uh, aliens are here for, whatever, please send them in. And we'd be glad to share those with our listeners. And uh, I guess that's going to wrap up this episode of the Falling Skies cast. We hope to see you back here next week. And uh, we're going to get into some slightly spoilerish information here after we close out. And uh, we're going to share the episode title and official description for next week's episode after we um, have our little closing here in just a moment. So from all of us here at the Falling Skies cast, I'm Jimmy Georgia. I'm Mary Evelyn. Peace. Have a great night. Next week's episode title is Prisoner of War, and that will be airing in the U.S. on June 26th at 10 p.m. 9 central on TNT. And our official description is this. Dr. Michael Harris, guest star Stephen Weber, and he was most famously known, I think, from uh, Wings. He was also on the show Happy Town a few years ago. 
joins the second mass with a theory about what might save the teenagers abducted by the aliens. But the plan could be derailed when Tom starts digging for answers to questions that have haunted him since the early days of the invasion. The second mass comes face to face with Skitters and Mechs when they attempt to rescue Ben. Directed by Greg Beeman, written by Fred Golan, and created by Robert Rodat. And uh, that's going to be the extent of our slightly spoiler section here. Uh, don't really seek out to spoil you anything, um, really, because, yeah, I don't want to do that. So, anyway, we hope to hear from you next time. And again, thanks for listening. Um, peace. I pledge allegiance to a lantern. To a lantern I got from a dead green alien. Dead, dying purple alien. <laughs>